0: You all can open your Bible uh, to Deuteronomy. We've been going through that book of the Bible. We jumped back into it at the start of this year. We had taken a break for Advent. We're gonna be in chapters 10 and 11 of Deuteronomy today. So we're gonna do another chapter and a half. While you're finding that, I wanted to make one announcement of sorts and just even hearing the testimony of Rose, uh, it it made me realize God is continuing to save people here. And maybe he has saved you recently. Uh, Maybe one of your children has come to faith recently. for us, when we come to faith, we are commanded to be baptized. We're to to follow the Lord in baptism. And uh, as a church, every few months we do a baptism class. And we're going to actually do it next Sunday uh, at 9 o'clock during the the educational hour, 9 o'clock in room 114, which is on this side of the building over here. So it's not, coming to it, it's not signing up saying, I will get baptized, but it's to come to open the scriptures together to see what God says about baptism, why we do it, how we do it. Uh, And then we're hoping to have baptisms at the end of this month. Uh, so, but I encourage you to come to that, or if you have a believing child who's come to faith recently, come with them. Bring them to that class. Uh, come ready to learn, and uh, Pastor Rod will be reading, leading that class in room 114 at 9 o'clock next Sunday. All right. If you found Deuteronomy 10, we're going to start in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, here in just a moment. Uh, but, and thinking of this text and, and what it speaks to us, uh, I was thinking and realizing this week how much uh, we have become a DIY culture. I even asked my son if he knew what DIY means. He said, like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Do it yourself. Uh, we, we've become a DIY culture. We, we try to find so many things where we don't need to depend on experts or pros or things like that, we think with the rise of the internet, I can do it myself. Why should I pay someone else? Why should I recruit someone else to do something that I could do myself if I just dedicate the time and energy to do it? And it happens in all sorts of realms of life, but one realm I've thought about uh, in particular is even in the realm of medicine and even of care for our bodies. And there's an immense amount of good, I think, that's come from that, that we have ability to seek out uh, treatments and and means of caring for ourselves. But We are increasingly becoming, and the few times I talk to physicians, they they attest to this, at least many of them do, uh, that we increasingly have become people who self-diagnose ourselves, we self-prescribe things for ourselves. Uh, we self-medicate ourselves, right? Like we find, we try to discern what's wrong with me. How can I treat that? What, or what ideas do people have? And then we go seek it out and try to actually do it ourselves. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it actually does help. It may open doors that uh, would not have been open to us otherwise. I think it could be a gift of God. But I think we would be wise to to remember. And I think it's obvious when we stop and think about it. Uh, That there are some things when it comes to our bodies and to our health that should not be DIY, right? That in some that cannot be DIY, right? There's a lot of stuff we could try to do to treat ourselves, but maybe we shouldn't do. It might not be wise to do. But there are some things you literally cannot do for yourself, right? Think of like what we're going to see today heart surgery, right? You could try to do things to help care for your heart, to tend to it, to protect it, to make it healthier, stronger, things like that. But if you need heart surgery, that is not DIY, right? You must seek out someone to do it for you. And what we're going to see in today's text is that we, every person in this room, stage included, uh, we are spiritually sick. Like, we, we have a spiritual condition that we cannot treat ourselves. It's not just that we should not, we cannot. Like, we are not capable of doing it. And uh, this problem that we have that we're going to see, dealing with it is above our pay grade. It's beyond our power. It's something that we cannot do. And my hope is that as we see this in today's text, that feeling our inability, seeing our problem... It will press us to a deeper awe, a deeper love of the great physician. The the only person who actually can deal with it, who actually can heal us, who can fix us. And so I want to read this text here. We're going to start the middle of chapter 10. I'm going to read all the way through the end of chapter 11. We're not going to always go at this clip, but there's going to be some to get through the book of Deuteronomy in a timely way. We're going to have longer chunks. And so I'm going to read starting at chapter 10, verse 12, here in a moment. But I want you to know where we are in this story, in this book of the Bible, before I read it. The book of Deuteronomy is kind of like a farewell address of Moses. He's 120 years old. He's about to die. But his people that he's been leading, the Israelites, are on the edge of the promised land finally, about to go into that land, about to go and fight for the land and live in the land. And, and Moses is giving them like a farewell speech or a series of speeches That what is what we have recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. It's mostly Moses talking uh, uh, with the exception of a few verses. Uh, and this document, this book of Deuteronomy, it's kind of like I said this many months ago, but you may have forgotten, but want to recap it here. It's kind of like a written form of a treaty of sorts between God and his people uh, that would have had normal forms in the ancient world. Uh, and I'm not going to belabor this, but just so you know where we are in the story, we're going to be ending this second section this morning, and the next Sunday we're going to start the third section. But these documents always started with the history of these groups that were coming into an agreement together. In this case, it's God and the Israelites. So we saw in the first couple chapters, first four chapters, I believe there was history of God in Israel. And then what we've been in for a few months now has been this general stipulation. It's kind of the general rules of how we're going to relate to each other. Kind of high level, high altitude. This is how we're going to deal with each other. That's what we're going to wrap up today. It's like Moses making his final like high level appeal to people like, do what God says. Like That's what he's going to do. Then next Sunday, and for most of the rest of the book, we're going to be in this section of the treaty of where it's giving specific rules, like more specific things, do this, don't do this, this is how you do this. We'll take a long time to go through that. Then at the end of the document, you're going to even see them alluded to today. Uh, There's going to be these statements of blessings and curses of if you obey and if you disobey this treaty. Uh, And then there's witnesses at the very end of the document at the very end of the book. What we're reading today is the end of that second section. It's like Moses making his last high-level appeal to the nation of Israel. Like, this covenant we have with God, that God's made with us, keep it. Like, do it. That's the basic summary of what Moses is going to say. But I'm going to read this much longer version of do it. It's going to be a chapter and a half. So uh, settle in. Listen carefully to this. We're mostly going to focus, just to tune your ears, we're mostly going to focus on verse 16 of chapter 10. But I'm going to read starting at verse 12 and go through the end of even the next chapter. So Moses spoke this to the nation of Israel. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and, the, and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear." He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, Consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place And what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess And that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're uh, walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the, to the Lebanon, and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread, as he promised you. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse." The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And they are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun, in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal beside the oak of Moreh for you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and when you possess it and live in it you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today this is the word of the Lord Moses uh, in the, the passage right before this has been just chiding the Israelites. It had been recounting for them how disobedient, how defiant they had been for uh, generations. Uh, but now, as he ends this general stipulations, he's imploring them to obey. Right? That's what we saw in today's text. And what I, what I want to communicate from this text, today, especially from verse 16 that we read near the beginning, uh, is just going to be summed up in three simple statements. They're very short. Uh, uh, But there will be much to be said under each. Uh, The first statement that I think summarizes what Moses is communicating, at least some subtext, if not up on the surface here, number one is that your heart must be changed. But your heart must be changed. That's, that's first and foremost in this text. Moses is appealing to this nation, to his generation, the generations coming behind him, to keep this covenant, to actually do what God has told them to do, to actually obey, right? He, he said it in all sorts of different ways. It would take far too long to, to detail every single one, but he uses all these different verbs, right, to describe basically doing what God has told you to do. Uh, verses 12 and 13, right at the start of the text, he, he told talked about uh, to fear God, right? To walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 13 he talked about as keeping the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, right? And he goes on and uses all sorts of different language throughout this chapter and a half to basically tell them to do what God said. He talks about fearing God, serving God, holding fast to the things that God has said, swearing by his name. He commands them even in chapter 11, verse 1, to love the Lord, right? To love him and keep his charge always, like all the time and enduringly. They were to, it wasn't just to obey him for a little while, but it was supposed to be consistent and ongoing, so he uses all this language to tell them, Moses does, to tell them what they're supposed to do. They're actually just, in a nutshell, to do the commands, to actually do what God has said. But you also notice probably through here is laced all these uh, additional reasons that he gives to obey. He tells them why to obey, right? Like why they should keep this covenant, why they should do it. Uh, he, he makes statements, these soaring statements near the beginning of today's text about who God is, right? Like if you look at chapter 10, verse 14, he says that the entire universe belongs to God. Heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to God. He calls him in verse 17, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, says that he's mighty and awesome that he doesn't take bribes, like he's fair, he's just. So he talks about the character of God. That's reason you should obey him. That should be reason enough. Is, this is an impressive, glorious God. Do what he says. But then as additional motivation to, to implore them to obey, he reminds them of what God has done for them, right? Like, it's not just that God is this great God, but God has done great things for them. If you look at verse 15, he says that the Lord has set his love on them as the nation of Israel. that, That God has set his love on them of all the peoples on the earth. He says in verse 21, he, Moses alludes to great and terrifying things that God has done for the Israelites, probably talking about the Exodus most notably, that, that God has done these terrifying things to others, but they're great to them because it's rescued them from slavery. He talks about that in the last verse of chapter 10, how God has turned them from 70 people uh, when Jacob and his sons went into the land of Egypt. And now he says that from those 70 people, God has turned us into this giant, gigantic nation of people that that is god showing his favor and kindness to us fellow israelites so he says what god has done for them and then as part of the motivation to call them to obey moses even alludes to certain ramifications for obedience and disobedience right that's part of how he's trying to compel them to actually obey to actually do what this command these commandments tell them to He he talks about the start of chapter 12. He talks about the past, like things they've learned if they paid attention to how God's already dealt with them, that he disciplined them right? And he references a few times that because of their disobeying of these commands, disciplines come to them as individuals or as a nation. So he, he says in the past, God has brought consequence and discipline to us. But then he anticipates also the future, right? He, of these, He's talking about this blessing and the curse that when they finally are in the land uh, as part of this renewing of their covenant, they're supposed to, to use these two mountains and imagine the blessing that will come for us if we obey and the curse that will come for us if we don't and and, uh, Moses is trying to appeal to them to obey now by letting them know there's ramification like there's blessing or curse that will come you're either going to get to enjoy the land that's glorious that God uh, is about to give us or you're going to get kicked out of it right and so he's trying to use the future even consequence or ramification to motivate them. But, and this is where we're going to come back to verse 16, the main focus of today's text. Moses knows their track record as Israelites, right? Like he's telling them to obey. He's like begging them, imploring them, commanding them to obey. But don't forget what he just said. If you were here last Sunday, you heard him just essentially pull no punches and say, guys, we have been terrible. Like we have been disobedient from the start and consistently. We have not done what God told us to do. We're not doing it now. And so Moses, he knows, I believe, even as he's speaking these things, even as he's calling them to do what God says, he knows if we're going to actually obey, like if the Israelites, my people, are going to actually obey God, something radical needs to change. Something dramatic needs to take place inside of these people because we have shown that we don't obey. And if something drastic doesn't take place within them, they will not keep this, right? And so I think that's why in verse 16 of chapter 10, interjected in this long text, Moses gives these two commands. He says, number one, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And second, he says, be no longer stubborn. So circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Second part is obvious. We know what that means, right? He's been telling them we are stubborn, like we disobey. And he's saying, stop that. Like we must cut out this stubbornness, this rebellion as a people, But that statement is really an explanation of the first command where he says to circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. And I don't have time to get into all the the details of what this means. But it's a a powerful metaphor because uh, circumcision was this sign, this outward physical sign that from the days of Abraham the patriarch of Israel, God had given this sign uh, to their sons, like uh, this cutting of the foreskin, an outward sign, had given them this physical sign to remind them that they are part of this covenant with God, that that God has established a covenant with them, that he's made promises to them. Uh, So there's been this outward sign, generation to generation, that should have been upon every male Israelite. But what Moses commands here is something internal, right? Right? He, he, I don't think when Moses says circumcise the foreskin of your heart, that he's imagining some ancient crude surgery where they pop open the sternum and find some skin around the heart and cut that off and then somehow put it back together, right? That should be obvious. When he says to to circumcise the foreskin of your heart, he's not even talking about the physical heart. He's talking about the the deepest, innermost realities of a person, their soul, their heart. He's saying there is something that needs to be cut, something that needs to be changed within you. Cut that, like make sure, not just that you're doing these outward physical signs to show that you're part of the covenant. What you really need, fellow Israelites, is an internal change. And I think Moses commands that, and I think we know this in our own reality today too, is he commands it because our behaviors, our actions, whether we obey or disobey, are downstream from the state of our heart right? Our, our, our behaviors, our choices, our words, our deeds are driven by our hearts, not vice versa. And so if we're to be changed, it's going to be from the inside out. We're, it, we don't change by becoming better people. And then if I do enough changed deeds, then my heart will change, right? There has to be a change of heart if there's going to be an outward change of life. And Moses, remember based on that slide I showed you before, Moses is about to start very next chapter giving them very specific things to do and not do in the land. But before he starts giving them this playbook of how they're to live, he wants them to know none of that matters if your heart doesn't change. Like I'm about to give you all these rules. Your heart must change if you have any hope of doing them. If you have any hope of actually keeping this covenant in the land, your heart must be circumcised. It must be changed and I, I want to, to impress that upon us this morning, to realize that is true of you, that is true of me, that is true of every person you will every, ever meet, is that we need new hearts. We all do. This is not just a problem with the ancient Israelites in Moses' day. This is a problem with human beings from the Garden of Eden, well before Moses came to today, till the day that Jesus comes back. Every human being on the face of the earth needs a new heart. This is a human problem. We are all born, I would say, with defective hearts. Right. Physically speaking, I looked it up about one percent-ish of infants in our country are born with some sort of heart defects. Very few of those have to actually be addressed with surgery. About one percent though are born with heart defects physically. One hundred percent of us are born with spiritual heart defect. Right? Every single person. We all need a change of heart, and it's vital for us to remember as we share the gospel with people, as we disciple people. Whether it's our children, our coworkers, family members, whoever, we must remember as Christians this truth that every person needs rebirth, not just reform. Right? Every, every person does. We need, every human being, including you, including any person you talk to, needs a new heart, not just new habits right? We have to have an internal change take place within us. And so so that's point number one from verse 16 is that you need heart change. You need a new heart, okay? But this, as you may uh, sense, as I alluded to even in my introduction, this change of heart is no DIY project right? This is not something that you can do yourself. It's not something you should try yourself because it's not something you can do yourself, right? And so the second point I want to to drive home from this verse 16. The second point is that you can't change it, right? The first point is your heart must be changed. The second sobering reality is you can't do it. Like you cannot change your heart, period. That you cannot do it. Uh, You may question where I get that because if you read verse 16 here, Moses says, as a command, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Right. So that could seem as he's telling these people a command, do it. That could logically make us think, Well, I'm able to do that. So let me figure out how to do it. Let me find the method, the means to actually circumcise my heart, to actually see it be changed, to actually see a new heart uh, come within me. But a few things from this text and even the broader book of Deuteronomy, I think will show and to prove that we are, these folks weren't actually capable of doing that. And that neither are we. Like, we're not capable of actually doing the thing that needs to happen, of changing the thing that needs to change. And I want to explain why I would say that. First, I would point out, the historic track record of these people was that they never circumcised their hearts, right? They, they did well at circumcising outwardly, physically, trying to keep some parts of the law, but they had not done this to this point, right? Even though they knew they needed to be changed, they knew they needed to be made into new people, they had not done it historically. And it's not just their track record, it's the track record of all the human beings that came before them, right? Uh, that it wasn't just the Israelites who were unique in their rebellion. The first Human beings disobeyed God and never circumcised their hearts, never had new hearts changed within them. This was a universal problem for Israelites and all humanity. The track record proved that humans were incapable of doing it, right? But Moses himself, and this is where it's important to sometimes remember this text is embedded in the bigger speech of Deuteronomy, right? Moses wasn't just speaking this chapter and a half. He was speaking this entire thing. You read all of Deuteronomy, Moses is super pessimistic about whether they will actually do this or not. Like, and I would say that's saying it too lightly. Moses is confident they will not. Like, he knows they won't do it. Even though he's commanding them to do it. You read through Deuteronomy, and we'll get to this uh, in a few months as we get towards the end of this book. You read Deuteronomy chapter 29. This would have maybe would have come in their ears a couple hours after they heard this command. Moses continues speaking. You read Deuteronomy chapter 29. Moses essentially tells them, prophesies to them, when you all go in the land, at some point, you're going to continue in your disobedience and God's kicking you out. Like you're going to be spread amongst the nations. You're going to go into exile. He's telling them this is going to happen. Like that is my prediction. That's my, my prediction or my prophecy more accurately that Moses would give to them is that they're going to break the covenant again. They're not going to circumcise their hearts. That it will not happen. And even I would suggest the metaphor itself, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, even the metaphor itself indicates that we're not capable of doing that, right? Like outward things we can do. Physical circumcision we can do. This circumcision of the heart, I think, this metaphor that is used here was, I think, intended by its very wording, by its very idea to imply and to state to us, you cannot do this. Like it's an inaccessible part of you. It's something you are powerless to actually do yourself. Circumcision of heart is something we are utterly incapable of doing, I would say it this way. The circumcision of heart must be done to us, right? It has to happen if we're to actually obey. It must be done to us, but it cannot be done by us, right? That change needs to happen, but we cannot do it ourselves. I I do not want to sound crude in saying this, but physically speaking, baby boys don't circumcise themselves, do they? They, they don't. They're, they're not capable of it. And even more so, you think of the circumcision of heart, it is not something we can do ourselves It is something we lack ability, we lack power to do. And if you think even of your own physical heart, if you have problems with it, if you're in a, a desperate place with your physical heart, You may seek out a doctor. You may go rush to a hospital if you're having a heart attack. But if you need surgery, if you need a heart transplant, you are not doing that yourself. Like someone else is doing it for you. And the same is true with the circumcision of heart. It's something that we cannot do ourselves. And this is important for us to remember, this idea that you can't change it. It's important for you to know about your own heart and then it's important for you to remember about other people's hearts as well. Right? Like first you need to know you cannot change your own heart. No matter how desperately you may want to change your own heart. No matter how much guilt or shame or conviction or weakness you feel to actually obey God. You cannot change your own heart. We can change a lot of things in our day and age some people think we can change things we can't change. I will not comment on that. But you can lose weight. You can change hair color, right? You can straighten your teeth with orthodontics. You can bulk up by going to the weight room. You can lower your cholesterol by, by eating better. There's a lot of things we can do physically with our bodies. But this changing of the heart is something we cannot do for ourselves. And we would be wise to listen to that and not live under the illusion that we can change ourselves. You cannot but you must realize that about other people as well. Because often after we've had our heart changed, we have a longing to see other people's hearts changed. right? We know how badly they need it. We know how desperately they need to have a new heart. And we want so bad to do it. We want so bad to, man, I want to do anything I can to change this person's heart, to get a hold of them, to see their heart become changed, to see their heart become circumcised, to see them become a new person. But it is sobering to remember, no matter how badly you want someone else's heart to be changed. You cannot effect that either. Like, it's not just that they can't do it for themselves. It's that no human can do it for them. Including you. Right? I was thinking in thinking of heart metaphor. You can't be a donor for them. Right? Like Paul says that like in Romans 11. Like Man, if, I could, if I could give up my own salvation and give life to my fellow Israelites, I would. But it doesn't work that way. You can't give a new heart to someone else. You can't take it out of you and give it to someone else. You can't be a donor and you can't be the surgeon either. But you have no ability to do it. No matter how much you love that person, no matter how desperately you want to see them be changed, you have no capacity to actually affect it. And it, we, we should be sober to think, if Moses himself can't circumcise the hearts of these people, If Moses himself couldn't change the hearts of his fellow Israelites, we should be humble enough to admit we can't change the hearts of other people either, right? We have no capacity in ourselves to do that. So you need a new heart. Your heart must be changed. The second thing, reality, is that you can't change it. If we just ended the sermon there, how deflating would that be, right? Like, this could seem cruel of God to say, Via Moses, there's all these things you need to do. There's all these commands you need to follow. There's this lifestyle you need to live. But you can't do it and you need a new heart in order to do it. But oh yeah, you can't actually give yourself a new heart. You can't give anybody else a new heart. And there's judgment that comes if you continue in disobedience. right? How cruel, not cruel, but how deflating would that feel? How 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 would that make us think of God or think of ourselves? He hates our sin, he tells us to change, that we must change, but then reminds us that we're incapable of changing ourselves? Are we just stuck like in perpetual disobedience and shame and guilt? Are we just stuck with this hard heart that needs to be circumcised that we can do nothing about it? The third point And this is the glorious good news uh, from the the broader uh, work of Deuteronomy. The third point is that God can. Two simple words. Your heart must be changed. You can't change it. But God can. And maybe you could say God does change hearts. God does perform that surgery, right? Moses, even though he is commanding this circumcise the foreskin of your hearts, even though he knows and he's pessimistic, these people will not actually do it, I would tell you Moses still had confidence that hearts would be changed. He knew that someday hearts would be changed If if you're able to, if you could turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I want to show you one verse in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I would wait a couple months to get to it, but it's too good to pass up. uh, Because there's one other time in the book of Deuteronomy that circumcision of heart appears. Where that, that phrase appears. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's near the very end of this book. It's right after the section I alluded to earlier where Moses has told them, you all are going to (laughs) fail, like you're going to disobey, God's going to kick you out of the land. Uh, Chapter 30, he starts talking about how someday God is going to bring you back into the land, like you're going to return from exile into the land. And then Moses is anticipating, I believe, that there's going to be a new covenant that gets established, a better covenant that God's going to establish with his people. And look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And note how it is similar but different from what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 10. In Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, Moses says this, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. That is glorious because he has told them in our text today, circumcise your hearts. But he, he's implied and even stated as the book goes on, you all can't do that. Like you're not capable of it. You're not going to. You wouldn't do it even if you were capable of it basically. And, and instead of just leaving them depressed, leaving them feeling powerless and shame for their sin and their, their utter inability to change their own hearts, Moses interjects this in Deuteronomy 30 and says, God will do it. Like, it's not something you can do yourself, this changing of heart. It is something that God can do and that God will do. Not just that he's capable of it and just withholds it, but he's capable of it and then provides it. So what God commands in Deuteronomy 10... He promises in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and he says, I'll be the one who does it for you. I'll be the one who does it to you, right? And this should strip us of any illusion. It should have stripped the Israelites of any illusion. It should strip us of any illusion that we can do this ourselves, because God is saying, I will do it. You're incapable, but I am not and I will do it. I will circumcise your heart. And, And no, he says, so that you will love me. The thing I'm commanding you in chapter 10 and 11, love me, do what I say. If you are going to actually do it, it's going to be because I changed your heart first. And when I circumcise your heart, when I change your heart, then you're going to be able to live a life that is pleasing to me. A life that's obedient to me. And the question then would become, okay, how does God actually do that? He has promised a time that has now come to fruition in our day where hearts are being circumcised, where people are being born again, where we're being given new hearts. But how does God change hearts? How does he actually do this surgery, so to speak? How does he do this procedure of circumcision of heart? The way that God does it is not through hearing of law. Right? It's not through hearing of law. The book of Deuteronomy itself is a meta proof of that. Right? Like Moses is giving them the law. He, he's telling them this is how God calls you to live. But even as they hear it, their hearts aren't changed. Right? Hearing the law does not change their hearts. Right? So he doesn't change hearts just through the hearing of the law. He doesn't change people's hearts. He doesn't change your hearts just through like chiding of people and like people trying to shame or convict. That doesn't bring a, a circumcision of heart. Circumcision of heart doesn't change or doesn't happen just by watching Christians live, right? Just by seeing example of believers who've been changed. That doesn't change the heart. The way that God changes heart, the pathway to the heart for this surgery is not like through the arm or through popping open a sternum or something like that, but it's through our ears. The, the pathway to this heart that needs to be changed is through our ears. Faith comes, he, the word says, by hearing. And it comes by hearing. If God, if you want to think of it this way, God, the, the scalpel that he uses, the tool, the instrument he uses to circumcise a heart, to change a heart, is the preaching and the hearing of the good news of Jesus, of his son, right? He doesn't use the instrument of of someone hearing from another person just, you need to be better. Like, you need to clean yourself up. You need to start obeying God. You've been so defiant, so disobedient. How could you? That's not the scalpel that God uses. The scalpel he uses, and think about this, the one person who can do this surgery on us how have we treated him <laughs> right like he's the one being who has capacity to actually perform this on us change us give us this new heart and we have stiff armed him Like we have rebelled against him if anything you would think he would leave us on the operating room table right and just let us die let us suffer let us uh, be under his wrath but that very one we've wronged, the scalpel that he uses is the good news that he has sent a savior for you. He has sent a savior for us. That, that surgeon, that creator that we have wronged, didn't just leave us in our disobedience and our uncircumcised heart state. He sent his very son to live among us, right? And more than that, he sent his son, even though we've rebelled, he sent his son to become a sacrifice for us to take that curse that should be upon us, the judgment that should be upon us. Jesus Christ took that upon himself when he went to the cross. He took our sin, and then taking our sin, he took our judgment. He took that curse that should fall upon us, the wrath of God that should come upon us, instead came down upon Christ. And God put him to death in our place And then God raised him back up from the dead. A Sunday morning like this one long ago, God raised him up from the dead, never to die again. And what God can do in us now, as we hear that, that a savior has come for us, that he's died for us, that he's been raised for us, what he can do for us is to join us with that son. He he can unite us with that one who now has a, a resurrected body, has always had a heart that obeys after God, and that heart can be shared with us, right? Like not transplanted like it goes out of Jesus, but that new heart can be shared with us where God starts to circumcise. It doesn't start. He does circumcise our heart and give us the very heart of Christ that actually loves him now, that actually wants to serve him now, that actually wants to live for him now. That is the instrument that the Lord uses to change hearts, is the hearing of that message. That in spite of our rebellion, he has loved us enough to send his son to die for us and be raised for us. That is the scalpel. That's what dissolves defiance. That's what melts the heart of stone that is within us. And for some of you, my, my prayer has been this week that you would sense the Lord doing that to you today. That, that you would feel that hardness of heart, that, that uncircumcised heart that's been so defiant toward him and maybe doesn't even know what to do with that. That as you hear the good news of Jesus, that he's come for you and died for you, been raised for you, that you feel that heart of stone start to melt. You, you feel a, a, a living faith now, a trust in God, a desire to come to him. And if that is happening to you today, or if it happens to you in the future, I would say to you, cry out to him then. Like, ask for forgiveness. Tell him thank you for sending Christ. Ask him to forgive you, and he will not turn you away. And if those prayers are sincerely coming forth in you, it's a sign God's already done the surgery. Like God has taken that good news of Jesus and he's circumcised your heart. He has given you a new heart that now confesses sin, that now asks for forgiveness, that now expresses a longing and a commitment to live for him. And my prayer is that the Lord is doing that even in some of your hearts today. Or that he does it soon. And if, he, if he's done it recently, if he does that today, come to our baptism class next Sunday. We would love to rejoice with you and to praise the Lord with you uh, for what he is doing in your heart. I want, I want to share a couple quick points of application. These will be very brief. Um, in, in light of this idea that God can change hearts. For us who are Christians, who have had that heart surgery done upon us, I would encourage us to make sure that we are preaching the gospel to people and then we're praying to God. Before that and on the heels of that. If people's hearts are going to be changed. It is going to be by hearing us tell them about Christ. That is how hearts are changed. And if we don't speak on his behalf. Circumcision of heart doesn't happen. Like we need to preach the gospel to people. But then we must pray to God on their behalf. Right? Because he's the surgeon like he's the one who will change their hearts not you not your passionate appeal Moses is passionately appealing to these people right but he doesn't change their hearts and we should passionately appeal to unbelievers but we don't change their hearts god does so preach the gospel and then pray to god but second i would say to be patient as you share the gospel with people when it comes to this surgery upon the heart the the true heart Like, we may request this surgery for other people, right? But we can't schedule it, right? Like, God is, as the the great physician, right, he operates on his own schedule. And we can ask, we should ask him, change the heart of so-and-so. Please change the heart of my son. Please change the heart of my mom. Please change the heart of my coworker. We can ask him, request him, but he makes his own schedule. And we must respect that and be patient. Continue to pray. Continue to share the good news with him. But trust the great physician. To those who have been given a new heart, another point of application I would say is to remember that you have a responsibility as someone who's been given a new heart, someone who's had that surgery done to you. You have a responsibility and opportunity to take care of that heart, right? To tend to it. to, To make sure that you are not, as someone who's been given a new heart, by God just trashing it disregarding it. And how foolish would it be if someone was given a, a real physical heart transplant, realized it came from someone else, was given to me by someone else, and then they just lived their life after they received it in an absolute irresponsible way. Just being reckless and not taking care of their body. You would look at that person saying, what are you doing? Like, do you not realize the gift that you've been given? You've been given this new heart. Take care of it. And if you are a believer who's been given a new heart, tend to your heart, take care of it. Because the reason God has given you that new heart is so that you'll actually obey, so that you'll actually honor him. He doesn't just give you, do this procedure, give you a new heart just to forgive you. That's glorious and good and should make our hearts soar. But he gives you a new heart like we saw in Deuteronomy 30 so that you may love him so that you may live for him. And if he's given you a new heart, you have a responsibility, an opportunity, an ability now to actually obey him, to actually live the way that he calls you to live. I mentioned at the beginning that uh, there are many DIY projects uh, that we try and that the change of heart is really not a DIY project, right? But I was thinking as I was wrapping up even this morning that really the circumcision of heart is a diy project but it's god's right like god knew i'm not leaving this up to other people they can't do it they'd mess it up if they tried but i will do this myself like i will change the hearts of my people and praise god that he does right because we could never do it ourselves and we can never make it happen to others but god is in the business of circumcising hearts amen Amen. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing one more song uh, and then I'll leave you with uh, an announcement and a word of benediction. But let's pray to the great physician uh, thanking him for what he's done interceding even for others. And then we'll sing. Father in heaven, we, we are left to ourselves. We are stubborn people. We are stiff-necked people. We are disobedient. Even despite the many gifts you've given to us, the grace you've shown to us, we reject you. We walk away from you. And yet you are the only one who can change us. You are the only one who could perform this supernatural procedure upon us. And though we don't deserve it, we are eternally grateful that you perform it. That, That you in your grace and mercy sent your son to die for rebels like us and that raising him to life, you now let us share in his life. You receive us uh, into your family as sons and daughters. God, may that just make our hearts swell. May, May we be overwhelmed as we consider that. And God, for those in the room who have not yet had this procedure done, I beg of you that you would do it. I ask with all my heart that you would save every person in this room, that you would perform this procedure upon them even this day, that their hearts would cry out to you in repentance and in faith, and that you would give them a new heart. Father, for those of us who have received that, we pray even as we sing now, that we would sing with circumcised hearts, that we would sing with hearts that love you, that delight in you, and may you be pleased by what you hear. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.